that a lot of us could say we have an absence of peace. But we know that our peace is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on our financial well-being. It's not dependent even on our health or how we feel. But it's dependent on the fact that, Jesus, you are in control. God, you are the God of the universe. And I just pray that as we move through this season and into the new year, that our focus would be on you and that you, Lord Jesus, would give us that peace that we desperately need. And as we've been here together, I just pray, God, that you would take the living word. We've worshipped you. We've sung praises to you. And we've celebrated this season. And I just pray, God, that you would now take the living word of God. That let nothing in me get in the way of what you want to say to us today. That we would be changed because we've been here today. By the worship and the word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just yesterday, one of our congregations celebrated 99 years um, of life. Marge Nagel uh, celebrated. She's not here, but let's clap for her. She's going to be listening. Marge, there it is. (laughs) Marge listens by CD every week. And so uh, we called her yesterday, my two daughters and Judy and I, and sang happy birthday in parts, actually. Uh, to Marge for her 99th birthday. So Marge, you'll be listening to this a little later, uh, probably tomorrow. So uh, just glad. And everybody here is smiling. They, they, don't, they don't make a lot of noise, but that's okay too. So we're glad to have uh, that happen today. I'd be happy if... I'd be happy if... If I were to ask you the question, do you want to be happy? Most of us would answer... Yes, yes, of course we'd like to be happy. Happiness, isn't that guaranteed in our U.S. Constitution? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? That's what what our lives are all about. We at least have the pursuit of happiness, of which we all, I think, are engaged in. All of us want to be happy. But if I asked you this morning, what brings you happiness, or what makes you happy, we would probably likely receive a, a, a variety of many different types of answers. I'd be happy if we could just pay off the mortgage. Or if I could just buy that new sports car, that, that big pickup. Or the newest Harley Davidson. Or that boat or motorhome. Or if we just get a hold of that lake cabin. I'd be happy if I could just get married. Or divorced. If I could just finish school, or I could just get out of the house and be on my own, I'd be happy if my kids would just get out of the diapers, or out of preschool, if they just get into kindergarten. I'd be happy if my kids would finish school, or if my kids would just move out and get their own place. The most significant evidence that disproves the theory of the evolution of the species is that Humans are the only species that allow their grown offspring to move back home. Is everybody awake? I want to make sure. Okay. I'd be happy if I could start my own business or my own startup. 
I'd be just happy if I could just move to a different house, get a different job, if I could retire or move to Florida or Arizona, or if I could just win the lottery. I'd be happy if. I'd be happy if. Each of us has an idea of what would make us happy. And everyone who has a product or service to sell will try to convince us that they have what will fill that emptiness and bring true happiness and fulfillment to your life. Now, when I'm speaking of happiness today, I'm speaking of more than just a a surface, temporary, emotional high based on happenstance or circumstances. I'm really talking about a deeper, long-lasting, abiding joy, a, a blessedness or a prosperity. As with many things in our lives, we sometimes have a distorted view, and our perspective can be contrary to reality. And we need a reality check or a truth check. You want to be happy? I want to be happy. We all want to be happy. How is that going to happen? Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament to gain insights into the how. The how. I'd like you to, as we look at happy if, we're going to look at Psalm 1. One of my favorite psalms in the Bible, favorite chapters in the Bible. Psalm, the first chapter. And we're going to read that. It's on page 431 if you want to look it up in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For God watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. One of the purposes of Psalm 1 is to emphasize certain fundamental truths important as we approach life. It's practical, and it's God's truth. And this passage begins, kind of interestingly, it begins with where happiness or blessedness is not found. It's not found here. And so we're going to start with Roman numeral 1. Happy if not. Happy if not. Now the word blessed is an exclamation in Hebrew. It's basically, it's, oh, how very happy or blessed is the man. It's a generic sense, or how happy is the person. Okay, whenever you see man or mankind, it refers to mankind in a generic sense. And the writer begins with three negatives. He tells us where happiness is not found. Well, that's good. So we want to find out where happiness is not found. He gives a sequence of allegiances and alliances. A sequences of allegiance and alliances. He uses three words to describe that. Walk, stand, and sit. Walk, stand, and sit. These three words describe a progression in following the wrong path. Not to blessedness or happiness, but to curses and unhappiness. Now, the first in this progression is acceptance, letter A. It's acceptance. To accept the thinking... Accept the thinking. Do not walk or live in a lifestyle in the council or according to the thinking or the plan and principles of the value system of the wicked. 
those opposed to God. Do not live a lifestyle based on the thinking of those opposed to God. If they're opposed to God, don't practice their thinking. How do we think? How do we think? What influences our thoughts? How we think governs how we act and what we do. And all of our actions, as you know, all of our actions originate from thoughts, except for speech on occasion we speak without thinking. But that's, that's another story. How much is your thinking influenced by those around you? Now, what comes to your mind? And you can say this out loud and respond. This can be a test. 15 minutes can save you $500. Geico. Okay, Geico Insurance. Just do it. Okay, okay, I'm in the right place. You're in good hands. <laughs> Everybody knows that one. You have that big hand up behind the, the football, in the football stadium behind that. Uh, let's, let's go retro a little bit. Um, you deserve a break today. Ah, McDonald's. Maybe that's a new one. I don't know. Could be. Have it your way. Burger King, okay. They're great. Uh, Frosted Flakes, okay. This will be really a long ways away. See if some of you get it. See the USA in your... Hey, we got that. Okay, okay. Advertising affects our thinking. Ladies, if you consume this drink, you will have the face, figure, swimming pool in the house, and the men in this commercial. That's true. Men, men, if you drink this beer, you'll be a winner. And all mankind will live in harmony and love and affection somewhere forever in a bar on Barstow Avenue. <laughs> you look at those commercials, the, the advertising, how it affects our thinking, our thinking. Ads convince you that if you take this vacation in Aruba, you will look like the man and the woman in the picture and have deliriously happy children. You'll be laying on the beach, running through the surf, and you'll be lean, tan, and beautiful. Have you seen those commercials? I mean, my body does change when I'm on vacation, but I have yet to get thinner. I'm just saying that. Use this toothpaste, eat this food, wear this perfume. And the ads don't show the deceived people who base their relationship on fresh breath, clean shaves, beautiful hair, and slender shapes. Now they're in divorce courts because he wakes up mornings with dog breath, doesn't shave, and she lost her shape after her fourth child. Never before in the history have we been so bombarded with mes messages, all image, all illusion, and none true. But they affect how we think. That's just, that's just one area. That's advertising. And we're bombarded with advertising all the time. And thinking affects behavior. Thinking affects lifestyle. Thinking profoundly affects our lives, how we think. Do you want to be happy? Do not walk in the thinking of the wicked. The second step in this progression is accommodation. Accommodation. Become like. Become like. Happy is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. The counsel has to do with thinking. Standing has to do with action, a pathway or behavior. This has to do with doing, developing a lifestyle of sinners. Now, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We've all done wrong things and bad acts. But the reference here to sinners 
is to those who live in open and obvious rebellion against God. Sin as a lifestyle or sin as a habit. Those who practice sin religiously, kind of. We intentionally make a habit of it. Accommodation means we become like. We become imitators. Imitators. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. John contrasted light with darkness. Light has no relationship with darkness. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Light dispels darkness. And we are called to be the light of the world. And if we're called to be the light, we cannot compromise. We cannot accommodate to the values of the world. Or our light will grow dim and will become more like darkness. We'll lose our distinctiveness or difference. If we carry wrong thinking into action, our light will grow dim. That's accommodation, compromise, becoming like the wicked. Pretty soon you can't tell the difference between us and people who aren't believers. It's a gradual process. Now we look at our spiritual journey, our spiritual walk, and every one of us is on a journey. The question is, how close am I to God? How close am I to God? But more importantly, which way am I moving? Am I moving closer to God or further away from God? Because our accommodation and where we are in our spiritual journey, we are either moving closer to God or further away from God. It doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, where we are in our life. It's just the question is, am I moving closer to God? Closer to God. Which way are we moving? Want happiness? Don't allow yourself to be squeezed into the mold. That's accommodation. Now, there's a, there's a passage um, uh, in Romans 12, and it's, on, it's, it's in the message. I want to read it. It'll be up in the projection, I think. Is it going to be up there? Yes, okay. Romans 12, 1 to 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. Romans 12, 1 to 2. So we have acceptance and we have accommodation. Then we have, letter C, we have assimilation. Assimilation, which is to become one of. Become one of. Happy is the man who does not sit in the seat of mockers. There's thinking, there's acting, and becoming. The word sit describes becoming an actual part. You can see the sequence. Thinking about it, acting it out, and then becoming, becoming. An active participant, belonging. Mockers are those who completely reject God and God's word for their own wisdom. They have their own value system, their own worldview, lifestyle. And it's all centered on humanism. We are the center of the universe. That's what they think. Now, these three phrases show three degrees of departure from God to the world. Acceptance, which is accepting the thinking, 
accommodation. It was just becoming like and then assimilation, becoming one of them. And our fundamental choices and allegiances are made and carried through this progression. Everything we think, act, and do, and become goes through this progression. And a person can be happy. So we're going to get back to happy? Yeah, okay. A person can be happy from a negative perspective by avoiding this progression, that progression. Thinking and lifestyle and belonging. Now, a couple of, couple of uh, words of wisdom. This doesn't mean we're to isolate ourselves from people who are not Christians or they don't believe in Jesus or they're not in the same place. We don't isolate from them. We, we still relate to believers or unbelievers. We're commanded to love people and actively engage in conversation and talk to people about Jesus. Jesus engaged all people. He never isolated himself from people. So this isn't a call to isolation. And it's also not an excuse for pride or self-righteousness. We can't say, well, I don't associate with those people or this, this thing or I don't do that. Or, you know, this is not for pride or self-righteousness. Caution. Caution, our right standing before God is not based on what we don't do or do, but on what Jesus has done. Our right standing before God is not based on what we don't do or do, but on what Jesus has done. It's a caution. So happy if we don't. How about happy if we do? Okay, we'll get to the, the other side. Happy if we do. Verse 2, there's a, there's a word that says but, okay, and it sets up the contrast for what's to follow. He says, don't do this, but. Now we look at happy if. Happy if. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord. What does the psalmist mean by the law of the Lord? What does he mean by the law of the Lord? And how can I find joy in that? <laughs> That's a, I was glad you asked that question. Can laws bring happiness? Judy and I have a friend named Dan who traveled a lot overseas. And one time he came back to Seattle and he had just been down in Chile, down, down in South America, down in Chile. And we were talking about what it was like. And I asked him, I said, how is it driving down there in Chile? Do they follow the traffic laws? And he said, well, pretty much. Pretty much, except lane markers are more suggestions than mandatory. And I remember my brother, who lived for 20 years in Taiwan as a missionary, he said, lane markers don't mean anything. It's just a free-for-all, and you just have to kind of make your way as you go. Some countries ignore lane markers. Traffic signals are suggestions to be ignored. Pedestrians take their life in their hands to cross the street. Now, in the USA, by and large, people obey most traffic laws, except speeding. I know if, if you go the speed limit on the freeway, they run you off the road. I know that. But, but for the most part, people obey traffic things. Lane markers on freeways, HOV lanes if you're in a city or metered freeway ramps, stoplights, most people, I see stops, stop signs, roundabout yield signs. How many of you get confused at roundabouts? Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I know they're common in Europe. We were over there, and, and, it's, it's, and of course, when we were in England, you, only, you come to the roundabout, and then you go this way instead of this way. That was in 
Scotland and England. It was very confusing. I was the passenger, which is good, because I, we would have been in deep trouble. And then it tells you, take the second exit off of this. Well, there's five roads going off of this roundabout. Which way do we go? It's very confusing, very confusing. But without laws, without laws that, that are there, um, it, it's chaos. If, if there's no compliance with the laws, it's, it's chaotic. So laws are good. Would you agree? To make an orderly, safe, and prosperous society. And traffic laws, that's just one example. Lawlessness creates civil strife, civil war, economic chaos, and poverty. Lawlessness. Take a look at Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and New York. You just name it. Lawlessness. It creates all kinds of chaos. So I think in a general sense, we would say laws are, are positive. Laws are positive. Well, God gave us laws, too. Okay? And some people think all Christianity is just laws. It's not. Okay? But he does give us laws. We talked about God's top ten, which are the Ten Commandments. And talked about how the first four govern how we relate to God, and the last six how we relate to other people. There are guidelines that we follow in order to relate properly to God and to people. To bring order, safety, justice, prosperity, and happiness. We operate within the context of his borders and his fence posts, bringing order. But the law of the Lord, we, we always think of the Ten Commandments first, and that's, that's good. It includes that. It's far more than just rules and regulations. At the time of this writing, when the psalmist wrote this, the law included the first five books of the, of the Bible, which was called the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the law and included that. And when you look at those five books of the Bible, you, we discover it talks about the history of mankind, the origins of the universe, God's interactions with his creation, the history of sin, God's provision for sin, how God's this pursuing God, always pursuing relationship with his created people. It talks about the covenant of God. It talks about the character of God, right and wrong, morality, relational guidelines of all types. The written word of God. That, the law includes all of those parts. But today the law, the written word, the Bible, includes much more. It includes the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament, 2 Timothy 3.15 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God-breathed means it's spirated. God breathed it out, and he did it through human beings. And so that's what we know to be the law today, the scripture, the written word of God. And it gives us all this incredible knowledge and understanding. The law of the Lord, the Bible, gives us, first of all, perspective. Where we have been and where we're going. Those of you that have traveled cross country, once you've been there, done that, you have perspective. You know what it's like, you know what to expect, you know what the roads are like, you know what the traffic patterns are. You know not to drive through Chicago at certain points in time. You know, all those things. There are just certain things that gives you perspective. The, the Bible gives us not a cyclical view of history. Like Eastern mystics say, it's reincarnation. You get second, third chances and whatever, and you come back. So it's like this circle that you come back and go back and forth. That's not what the Bible talks about. It gives us a lineal view of history. A lineal. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. We just celebrated Christmas. And what we've discovered is that this birth of, of Christ 
And tradition tells us it was the 25th of December. We're not sure exactly what date or what it was calendar-wise. But we do know that there was before Christ, there was the birth of Christ, and there's after Christ. And all of history is either B.C. or A.D. Now, they, they're trying to change that because they don't want to have Christ in the calendars. But you can't change that. Everything is lineal. There's a beginning, middle, and end. There's a history. We don't know when this history is going to end. We have all kinds of speculations today about, about where we are in this history. And we think, oh, no, this is going to be um, this globalism, the mark of the beast, and this is going to happen. And we, all, we know that all those things are going to take place, but we don't know when. But that's okay. There's a history, and we can take joy and be happy knowing that God is in control. That's what the law of the Lord talks about, the law of the Lord. The Bible was offer, authored by people who have been there, done that, experienced what we have. It gives us perspective. The Bible also gives us a moral compass, a moral compass. In ancient times, mariners or sailors on the sea used the North Star or constellations to guide them everywhere they went. Do we have any amateur astronomers who like to look at the stars? Okay, awesome. It's, it's, it's quite amazing when you get with somebody that actually knows what all those are. I can find the Big Dipper, sometimes the Little Dipper, Orion's Belt. Then I'm out. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know that much. But the stars were used to guide sailors and travelers. They used the sextant. And then, of course, came the compass, and today we have GPS, global positioning system. We don't need the stars, you know, whatever that is. It provides direction. And what the Bible does, the law, we can take joy and find happiness in it because it provides a moral compass, what is right and wrong. It provides us with direction. Now, we have so many, so many things in, the, in this moral issue today. One of the more recent ones was and still is, it's, it's separating uh, whole denominations is same-sex marriage. And Americans are upset about liberal activist judges making decisions overturning laws that were made by state legislatures or referendums. They're saying they're overturning the will of the people. As if the will of the people is the bottom line on right and wrong. What if the majority of people vote for the wrong? Does that make it right? You know, we have this kind of twisted view. It's not about the will of the people. Majority rule is fine for governmental systems and other things, but morality must be based on something that transcends people because people can be wrong. Our moral compass giving us right and wrong is not the will of the people, but the Bible, the Word of God. And by the way, the Bible says there are two genders, male and female. I know that's controversial today. I was so pleased when uh, President Putin in Russia said, we're not going to accept that propaganda coming from the United States about multi... Well, there are men and there are women. There's two genders. That's not Russian disinformation. That is direct information from the president of Russia. Two genders, male and female. And, and I, I, it, it is beyond me. Okay, it's beyond me. I don't, I don't want to get into this too far. I, uh, too late, I guess I'm into it. When a baby is born, the doctor says, based on physical characteristics, it's a boy or it's a girl. Okay? Now, if you put that on Facebook now, they'd probably fact check you. 
How do you know it's a boy? How do you know it's a girl? It's, you know what I mean? Okay. Sorry, I didn't want to get into that. Yes, I did. I did. I didn't want to get into that. Then the Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman. All of those things. We need a moral compass. And God gives it to us in the law and the balance. This brings us happiness, security, and blessedness because we have a moral compass tells us right and wrong. Then we have balance. Balance. Law and grace. Law is, is this is what God demands of us. And grace is this is what God did because we couldn't measure up. Now, if all we do is talk about law, we hit people with the, we fall short, boom, boom, boom. Then people get depressed and they say, I'm never going to measure up because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. But grace says Jesus came, died for our sins so that we can have forgiveness, we can have new life. That's the grace side. There's law and grace. We have to have all of those things in the scripture. The law of the Lord is not just law, it's law and grace. When we look at the Old Testament, we see that that Adam and Eve were living in this incredible environment. They sinned and they fell and they received the judgment of God. But then God came, stepped in and he, he, he killed an animal, shed blood, and he covered their sin. It's the, the most incredible picture in the Garden of Eden how he, he killed animals and he took their skins. He shed blood and he took their skins and covered up their nakedness, covered up their sin, covered them up. And that was the first instance of blood being shed on behalf of human beings. That's what the Bible tells us about. And that's grace. That's grace. Then it gives us wisdom. The law of law. How can we be happy with all this? He gives us wisdom. Practical guidelines for life. Being a good husband or wife. Fatherhood and motherhood. Work ethic. Spiritual wisdom. How to get right with God. How to be born again. How do we, how do we find new life in Jesus Christ? The Bible answers questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why do I exist? What am I on earth for? What is the purpose for which I was created? I don't know if you ever asked that question. Life seems really crazy. And you say, is there any sense to this? Why, would, why did God create me? What's my purpose for which I was created? The Bible gives us answers. We can find happiness in the answers. What does Psalm 1 say about our relationship to the law of the Bible? Well, there's a few words that he talks about in the next verses. First one has to do with attitude. Attitude, which is delight. I can delight in a book that tells me all of that. Delight is a descriptive word meaning to enjoy deliriously. To enjoy deliriously. Delight is an attitude. It's also, letter B, it's an appetite. It's an appetite. This is delight. We're to have an appetite for the word. Now, some foods are easy to delight in. Agreed? Hot fudge sundaes, cinnamon rolls, caramel macchiatos, mochas, hot chocolate, chocolate chip cookies, nachos, pizza. There's some things that we just, we delight in those. We have an appetite for those. Other things we need to develop a taste for. Sushi, olives, coffee, onions, my favorite and yours, lutefisk. If you don't know what that is, never mind. It, that's okay. Anchovies, broccoli, or Brussels sprouts. I know it's a risk talking about food at this time in the service, but we just got there. We are to develop our appetite for God's word, the Bible. Our happiness is dependent on having an appetite and desiring it. 
So there's attitudes and there's appetites. And then there's action. The action is meditate. He said, meditate on this. Now, this means think about it. And meditation takes time. Something that's really precious and scarce in our world today. Time. Meditation takes time. Now, the best thing I can do is think about this is, and some of you know this better than I, but um, uh, with cows. Cows do something unique. They chew their cud. They chew their cud. Now, when I found out what this was, I was really grossed out, but that's okay. It means they, they eat their food once, and then they bring it up again, chew it, bring it up again, chew it, chew it. They do that. So that's called chewing the cud. Why do they do that? Because that way they get every bit of nutrition out of that bit of food. And it is very well digested by the time they actually swallow it. Well, in the same way, we need to get every bit of nutrition out of the Word. But to do that, we have to ingest God's Word, read it, bring it up again and again and again, and chew on it some more. That's what meditation is. Chewing it again, chewing it again, thinking about it. You can read it, and then you start thinking about it, chewing on it, chewing on it. And you may want to take one verse and chew on it all day. One verse. Meditation. said, this is what we're called to do. We want to be happy. We want to delight, delight, chew on the Word of God. Meditation. Now, Judy and I, one of our hobbies together is to watch movies. And to admit it, we, we really like happily ever after endings. Okay, we do. I know it's escapist, but we like those things. You know, the, uh, Judy's favorite are the, the hallmark, the kiss at the end. You know when the movie's over because they finally get together and they kiss. And it's a happily ever after. You know, that's what it is. Now, once in a while, we'll see a movie that has an inconclusive ending. It's inconclusive. It leaves you hanging. Maybe, maybe the producers ran out of money. Maybe they just ran out of ideas. Maybe the actors died. I don't know. So they just end the movie, and the, you didn't know it was the end unless the credits rolled, and the credits rolled. And so we end one of those inconclusive movies. Now, I just forget about it. I leave it alone. I don't think about it any further. A week later, sometimes longer, in the middle of our conversation, totally unrelated, Judy will say something like, I wonder if they ever did find him. She's been pondering it. She meditated on that. She's been thinking about the end of that movie. Now, the scary part is that I used to be totally clueless about what she was saying, and now I know exactly what she's talking about. We've been married 41 years tomorrow, actually. We don't finish each other's sentences. We finish each other's movies. (laughs) Meditate. Keep it on your mind. Think about it. Let it dominate your thinking. That's what brings that kind of fulfillment, blessedness, and happiness. Happy if. Letter D is accomplishment. Accomplishment. This is what God does in us. This is what God does in us through his word in us. His word in us actually grows and bears fruit. It does things in us. This this book is supernatural. And when we ingest it and think on it, meditate on it, 
it does supernatural things. It becomes part of us. It becomes part of our character. And he describes some of those, some of those words, the descriptive words. The first one is it's stable. Stable. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. It's not look like a tree, act like a tree, or think like a tree, but be like a tree. It's a, it's a state of being. Being like a tree. And, and this tree that, that we're like is, is planted. It's not wild. It's not random. It's not accidental. It's planned and it's cultivated. So when we ingest the word and delight in the word and spend time in the word, we're like this tree that's, that's cultivated. There are streams of water. It's plural, a constant supply of nourishment. So stability, you're stable. You're also, number two is predictable. It produces fruit in season. When we look at, when we look at, at what happens around here, the most incredible time of the year, in my opinion, in Wisconsin, is the fall when the leaves turn. I mean, it's just, it's, abs- and it's, it's predictable that it's going to happen. Now, people that have been here a long time, they'll tell you, uh, no, you're a little early, uh, got to go next Tuesday and you'll see the best. Now, if you go north, it's going to be next Friday. You know, they, they can tell you where to see the leaves. It's predictable. It's something that is normal. And when we dwell in the Word, meditate and do that, we have that kind of predictability. It's also fruitful or useful, number three. We become living organisms that absorb water and nutrition and produce something new for others. It's not not to consume ourselves, but for other people. We're also resilient. Resilient. This is a happy life. Resilient. We're not immune from seasons. You're going to experience rain, hail, drought, snow, and wind. But we're free from crippling damage. We'll, We'll still experience those things. But we won't be damaged. Not immune from adversity, but protected from permanent damage. And then number five, successful. It says, whatever he does... He prospers. Whatever he does, he prospers. These are principles. These are promises. These are truths. And then the psalmist contrasts the wicked to the righteous and their destiny and their worth. It's amazing how we come out on the other side. Are you looking for happiness today? Are you looking for happiness forever? Avoid the counsel, path, lifestyle of those opposed to God. Delight and meditate in the word of God. Sink your roots down deep and you will find stability, fruitfulness, prosperity, and happiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us an example of who we can be in you. And I pray, God, as we head on into the new year, that you would, you would move on our behalf. I pray that you'll give us a deep hunger for the word of God. And that, God, you would work in our lives. That your word would be the center of our existence. And that we would be able to grow and be fruitful and happy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing.